0: The OAMnetwork.com
1: Power to the podcast. I think with my, uh, with my friendships, there's a strict rule. I have to encounter you <laughs> two or three times by chance.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Right? And, and then and, you're going to... And then I'm willing to like hang out with you like purposefully. If, some, if I meet someone once and then they're like, Hey, can I get your number or I want to hang out again? I'll be like, Nope. Or
3: (laughs) just a solid
1: nope. or I'll give them the number but like I will not hang out with you I have to have run into you two or three times by chance which has happened with us by the way now
3: I was about to say we also don't have your number you said in our DMs but it seems like we're (laughs) about to be on the exchange numbers level yeah
1: you're on the exchange numbers level oh
3: yes what is the area code of your number
1: uh I'm not at liberty to to say and the
3: other seven digits
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that can't buy a no wedding ring, rather go and buy bowel manes. Gucci gang, 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 Gucci gang. On today's episode, Dunbar's number, highly targeted brain stimulation, and what happens when a podcast host eats
1: too many antacids. Welcome to the Dr. Heckle podcast, the science communication show that George Soros would see no point in funding. With me on the show today, trying not to laugh, with a degree in political science from the University of Miami, host of Surf Memphis podcast, Carly Bensivenga. Hello, Mark. Great to have you. And with a bachelor's in communications from the University of Central Arkansas, also host of Surf Memphis podcast, Christy Philly. Hi. How are you? <laughs>
3: Just wanted to give a quick hi.
1: How are you guys doing?
3: I'm doing awesome. We yeah, do, we've I'm had doing really quite well. Quite uh, the experience since we last spoke to you, which I was going to bring up immediately in the first five seconds that you lost our last
1: episode. Uh, th- there's upper management that lost <laughs> our last episode that we recorded. I was, was deeply disturbed.
3: But now we get to hang out again, so yeah, it's all good.
1: Glad to have you back <laughs> in the studio for a second time. But since the uh, information was lost to the ether. Can you give us a little rundown of how you started the Surf Memphis podcast? What it is, Ooh. and how
3: it's a, the be- a better show than yours?
1: <laughs> I shouldn't have left the gap there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you know, if there's any silence, I'm gonna forcefully fill it.
2: <laughs> you will,
3: so, yeah. So, Surf Memphis, Carly, do you want to do you want to start? Sure. So
2: we have been hosting Couch Surfers since June um, here in Memphis, and we just had so many people coming through that had awesome stories, really interesting lives, and different perspectives on Memphis. So we decided that we should just put a microphone in front of them and start <laughs> recording with them. Um, and then that's sort of how we came up with the idea.
3: Well, that, I mean, that's it. I think you, you summed it up perfectly, but it's been continuous. Uh, I've, we get a lot of requests actually. Now that the summer is starting to happen, I'm getting bombarded. I don't know about you. Are you getting bombarded with requests?
2: Yeah. And I think we're going to see a peak in it too. So we host. Did I mention couch surfing or did I just say that we have people stay with us?
3: <laughs> so, so, I don't yeah, know because uh, I wasn't listening. Yes.
1: For, for the people out there on this earth that may not know, yes. what, what is couch surfing?
3: Couch surfing is a website that was originally founded in the early 2000s and it's meant to connect strangers and travelers and hosts together. So there's three ways you can couch surf there's hosting, you can have people in your homes, you can surf, so when you're traveling, you can go and then meetups you can just find people on the app that want to explore a certain city or something with you and there's it's a reference based system there are creepy people on it but for the most part 95 99% of the people on it are just awesome looking to connect and have a great time in your city
1: awesome well how many people have you turned down in the past month 20.
3: <laughs> 20 people Tw- I think
1: 20 people yeah I had Not- to
3: shoot someone down a day again too and it was like the fourth time that they requested me back saying please and I was like no <laughs> I'm sorry oh. <laughs> yeah there's there's a couple reasons why you would like turn somebody down but there's nothing nefarious going on really
1: <laughs> What what are the reasons you would turn someone down I'm gonna latch onto the okay, yeah, to, to the the weirdness rather than the joyous experiences.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's why we came on your podcast is to talk about the negative. things.
2: Yeah, no, we got there are plenty of reasons. Um, there yeah. are a lot of um men out there. We are two females, but say, also, say no more. Say no more, <laughs> but also women. But also women.
3: Because um, we've had some... But there
2: are some, some couch-surfing profiles that have red flags. A big one for us is if anybody says that they will exchange massages. Don't fucking do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so I'm going to throw the F-bomb exchange in the first five mas-
1: minutes. Exchange massages.
2: Yeah. Yes. There's a part that's like, what can you offer the host... And if somebody says they're going to offer me no. <laughs> cuddles or
3: massages. Yeah. That's, that's a red flag. I'm going to avoid that. Not go. Yeah. And trust us on that. Like, yeah. Anyone that says they're a masseuse, cuddles. Um, sometimes people will just straight up ask for sex
1: no way.
3: Oh, yeah. We had a, a couch surfer that her very first request when she decided to host was this woman from Lithuania. And she said, hey, I've never been to, oh, I forget where they live, somewhere. I've never been to that city. I'd love to meet up with you guys. Also, I just recently discovered that I might be bisexual. And I was wondering if you were up to have sex. And I'm um, sorry if that was weird. Will you host me? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorry if that was weird,
3: but uh, let me say come it. stay I, at your house I, now. You, you forced
2: the weird, my hand. The weird thing
1: is, <laughs> that's, not, that's not like in a conversation where someone might say something like that and be like, oh, that was a weird thing to say. you Just typing it out, and yeah. then you've made the realization that it's weird, but yet you haven't you gone back and it. deleted.
3: Yeah. yeah, you're like, hmm. Eh, print it. <laughs> Put it out there. Yeah, why not? whatever. But, uh, yeah, and then most... Sometimes people will ask, like, we just had somebody ask if they could be our third roommate <laughs> off of couch serving there. Very strategically kept... They messaged me multiple times, and they're like, how close are you to the FedEx headquarters? And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure they don't want to take a tour of the FedEx headquarters, so I think they're asking for lodging. Sure enough, two weeks go by, they're like, hey, uh, you never messaged me back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not looking for a third roommate. Although, apparently Carly is, because today... I caught her looking at a roommate wanted ad, so she might be moving out.
2: Why you got to bring drama onto this podcast? (laughs) That's a joke. I did catch her looking at one, but it was out of curiosity, not out of necessity. Timestamp, cut that out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It all stays in.
2: (laughs) Okay, fine.
1: (coughs) But not just negative experiences, you've obviously had many great experiences that you get to talk about on the show. And would you say that you have generated... A number of new friendships in the process.
2: Oh, for sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we actually... So in our apartment, we have a pin map of all the people that have stayed with us, and... You can look at it and pretty much know that we have a friend in every continent except for Antarctica.
3: Surprise. Still waiting.
2: (laughs) Somebody's listening in Antarctica, wants to come stay with us, put a pin in our mat. Our couch is open to you. (laughs) Come on through. But yeah, we have friends all over the world I know a
1: few uh, masseuses in Antarctica, actually. Um, (laughs) We might make an exception (laughs) for them. Well, I
2: hope they
3: freeze to death. (laughs) Honestly. Give me that Eskimo massage. I'm sorry. (laughs) I want no part of this person's igloo. (laughs)
1: But uh, uh, are you, you're probably expanding your friendship network, but are you aware of something called Dunbar's Number?
3: Oh, this is how you get us. No, I don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> okay. Dunbar's Number is the suggested cognitive limit to the number of people with whom one can maintain social relationships stably.
3: Whoa. I like to think that I'm an outlier in this already.
1: So relationships to which an individual knows each person and how each person relates to every other person. And it was proposed in the 1990s by a British anthropologist, uh, Robin Dunbar. He found a correlation between primate brain size and th- the average size of their social group. Oh. And then used this to extrapolate. Uh, he proposed that humans can only comfortably maintain 150 stable relationships.
3: And this is just polit- like friends. This is do- doesn't include relatives.
1: Let's say, let's say your social circle of 150... Now, uh, there's, I guess, correlative evidence for the way that human societal structures are organized. The average group size in modern hunter-gatherer societies, uh, where the census data is actually 148.4 on average. (laughs) Uh, Company size in professional armies is around about 150. uh, From Roman Empire to 16th century Spain, 20th century Soviet Union. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, interestingly enough, it's broken down into further subsections. So you have this 150 people where you are, you would say it would be a stable social relationship. Then you have a group of, it divides down in groups around around 50. Okay. The amount of people you would in theory invite to a dinner party, let's say (laughs) you would, you would be comfortable inviting, uh, to a group dinner. And then it breaks down to your five close there are five people that you closely confide in. Uh, the oh. biggest total network supposedly is 1,500 in which you can put names to faces. So there's in theory a limit to 1,500 people where you'd be like, oh, that's such and such, that's such and such in your social network, people, that, acquaintances that you come across.
3: And is this just like, is, is this based on any sort of survival thing or is this just a limit that the, the brain has to to keep these relationships up or the names of faces
1: well i suppose it seemed uh it's probably just a thing relative to brain size because if you think human when human agricultural systems uh, or civilizations arose there hasn't been much there wouldn't have been much selective pressure or directed evolution since then that could have drastically influenced it
3: this is like the seven digit phone number as people
1: Pretty much. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if social media networks, because you said this was yeah. in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would make any change in... I bet it would because I'm, you're able to... Oh, like, do you have something? Uh, I'm
1: glad that you said <laughs> that. I'm glad
2: Look at that. I'm on We're on the show.
3: segue. Glad, <laughs> so we got our degrees.
1: <laughs> glad that you brought that up because there was a study uh, that modeled users activity on Twitter networks and it validated... Dunbar's number that uh, as you so people on uh, Twitter, you know, whoever they're interacting with, that number tends to increase uh, as they get more followers or as they're interacting with more people. And it stabilizes at around 100 to 200 people that they can maintain uh, stable relationships with without it dropping off from one person and, uh, you know, picking up a new person it doesn't like go beyond two hundred in the amount of people that you will have like a stable amount of contact with.
3: Oh, but it doesn't have any effect on the lower numbers with your close relationships or the fifty people that you would invite to a dinner party.
1: Doesn't affect doesn't affect that necessarily, no.
3: Shout out to our Instagram followers, you're all invited to our dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> all two hundred and eighty sixty. And I think that's accurate, by the way, I think I know that <laughs> by heart.
1: But it was proposed in the 1990s, but there's been other similar numbers that have been generated. Uh, so there's alternative numbers developed by, uh, for instance, H. Russell Bernard and Peter Kilworth, who said that the uh, n- mean number of ties could be 290, so that's double almost what uh, the original number is. So you could be optimistic and think that 290 is the maximum number of Friends you can gener- generate from a uh, oh. couch surfing. <laughs> or another uh another um median is two hundred and thirty one generated by the same it was the same people. Oh okay. Uh, same researchers.
3: And what year was it that they did this? The social oh. media ad, ad-, ad-, ad- The ad- social adendum?
1: the social media study Addendum. was Addendum. done in two
3: thousand eleven. Oh, okay. Hmm, that's also interesting because I feel like social media has
2: changed. Yeah, but has the brain changed enough that you can't, you know what I
3: mean? My brain has changed a lot since 2011, mostly because of the alcohol I've drank. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: I think uh, whilst you've got these numbers that are the average, that doesn't mean you can't push yourself to the upper limit of that right. moving average and I think with couch surfing you're clearly going to be able to do I uh, think to move, that's true. move towards that upper limit because you're constantly having new people come into your network.
3: Right. And it's not even that they come into our network. They're doing something that a lot of our friends don't even do, which is stay with us for days at a time. Because now that we're older, there's no such thing as sleepovers. I think somebody said this on a couch surfing profile. Yeah. They said they love couch surfing because it's recreating the feeling of when your friends used to stay the night, but now there are no parents and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> well, it was when you had to ask your mom yeah. if people can spend
2: the night and now you don't have to ask your mom anymore.
3: But I think that we could definitely probably expand our number because you were saying looking at the the pin map and
2: mm-hmm.
3: all the people we have over the world. Think of the couch surfing hosts that have had 400, 500 people come. Probably on average, say we've had we've had about 100 plus couch surfing experiences. How many of those would you say you still talk to or close, think about, you consider something like special? Probably like 25. You say 25? Yes. Or is that a percentage?
2: Are we talking about like talking? To, you said talking to regularly. Yeah, about 25.
3: Okay.
1: 25 total out of how many? Uh,
3: collectively between the two of us, 100. Well, I, but yeah, I also keep up with a lot of them on social media. Oh yeah. And I think that back and forth of like liking something or just commenting is the same sort of thing as like a, a full on conversation. I would say more than that. I'd say half of the people that I've interacted with on couch surfing.
2: Yeah. Well, another thing about it is that it's just a very intimate way of connecting with people. So you have these conversations and you know a lot about people. So um, the friendship levels just sort of like build a lot quicker than if you're just casually meeting somebody around town. It's like that
3: part in Harry Potter when they... (laughs) I'm just going to bring Harry Potter into this. And it's not because you're English, Mark
1: yes it is but carry on it's
3: okay if that is the most racist thing you can do against (laughs) britain i think we're okay (laughs) the race of britain (laughs) well you know all of it
1: that thinking that we are a race is the most racist thing you could do
3: (laughs) (laughs) okay well we've reached our limit on that uh so harry potter though there's a part where after hermione and ron and uh, Harry I almost forgot his name. <laughs> Mr. Potter. After they fight the troll, J.K. Rowling says there are just some things that you go through and you have to come out as friends, and fighting a troll is one of them. And I think staying with people in, in a situation. <laughs> Having where you're to like, spend <laughs> a night in our apartment is <laughs> just, just, just like, like fighting a troll. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe with some things like when we had the bucket to flush the toilet <laughs> <laughs> for four months. Um but yeah, I think like you said, you, you can hang out with a couch surfer. And within 10 minutes, you probably know everything about each other. It's just a very open, honest environment. So I think that forges more close relationships. It'll probably bring numbers up if you looked at couch surfers.
0: Let ohm help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com.
1: Welcome back to the Dr. Heckle podcast. We move on to our second section where I take a news article, throw it out there to our guests, see what they think about it, have a little bit of discussion. This one is from BuzzFeed News.
3: A very accredited source.
1: And it says, This biohacker just injected himself with a DIY herpes treatment.
3: (laughs) I really thought you were just going to say he DIYed herpes.
1: (laughs) No, a DIY herpes treatment. Okay. So... Aaron Trawick who is the CEO of Ascendance Biomedical took to the stage at a biohacking conference in Austin, Texas dropped trow, and injected himself in the thigh with an experimental herpes treatment created by his company
3: so he's outing himself as having herpes
1: very astute yeah
3: you gotta assume Aaron Trawick because if he didn't have herpes has, has
1: herpes if
3: he didn't have herpes and then injected himself with a herpes treatment and went see I don't have herpes <laughs> Not anymore. (laughs) It never will.
1: So, uh, first of all, biohacking. Are you familiar with the concept?
3: I'm pretty sure it's a buzzword that maybe BuzzFeed uses... (laughs)
1: It is a buzzword that really doesn't have too much meaning. I it,
3: think it's just when people think that something is revolutionary or out of the box and it comes to bioscience.
1: So so there's like a there is a community of people, probably only one hundred and fifty strong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's
3: true.
1: Who who are in this subfield called biohacking where in theory they're trying to modify uh, modify humans uh by biological means. So it's, it's effectively gene therapy for people who don't know what they're doing.
3: This sounds like the people that want tails. It, it, <laughs> if I had to guess. All, sort,
1: all sorts of things. I uh, want
3: tails and scales.
1: So there was a guy uh, who we featured on an episode ages ago called Josiah Zayner who injected himself with DNA, with folostatin to try and make, uh, you know, folostatin is something you give to cows to make them more muscular, uh, m- more beefy. But... Uh, <laughs> there's no way what he was doing would ever work and it's it is just dangerous because it uh, perpetuates a copycat culture this guy has formed a company uh, off the backs of real scientific work uh, but his company doesn't do anything really
3: so drop trow on stage and shoot up
1: so uh, uh, a
3: mystery substance
1: <laughs> trade milk we don't know <laughs> The twenty. So he did this in February. Trewick, the 28-year-old CEO of Ascendance, who holds a bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary studies.
2: <laughs> oh, that's the best. That's all the studies, right? Yeah.
1: All of the studies. <laughs> he told MIT Technology Review that his actions should be seen as a political statement. Is
3: that how he got herpes? I don't During think his he... his interdisciplinary studies.
1: <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, he says, these therapies we're developing have the potential to allow individuals without the requirement of a clinician or without the healthcare industry to be able to self-design and self-administer treatments, Traywick said.
2: So we're self-designing and self-administering drugs now.
3: Because <laughs> that's how well, that, that should uh, work. That's a that's, field where really we need more people just fucking around and yeah, stirring that's, science that's at that's the wall. That's effectively
1: what he would have you believe. And he says, I absolutely see gene therapy as political. Uh, well, gene therapy is... A field that is it's a really hot topic right now uh-huh. it's actually the field that i work in
3: that's true and it takes these effects ing-
1: <laughs> it has taken over let's say 30 years 20 30 years to start seeing the first clinical benefits from hundreds and thousands of researchers painstakingly working away on uh specific diseases for instance uh let's say Gene therapy for immune deficiencies. So these are, these are mm-hmm. single gene disorders. Uh, it's been over 20 years since the first clinical trial. Now we're see- starting to see results. Uh, but these are institutions that have the best scientific minds in the world with the best resources millions and millions in funding gmp facilities to produce their clinical products and you
3: guys still didn't cure herpes immediately like this guy did
1: (laughs) yeah I, i guess not so there's there's little evidence well there's no evidence that their treatments work and there's little evidence about what they even consist of
3: i just hate the term biohacking it's just fucking science, or not science, depending on which one it is. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like some sort of pseudo science thing. This is, it, you know what it is, is? It's exactly the same kind of people would say biohacking as the people that, that they think that someone leaving their Facebook open constitutes as hacking them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're hacking biology by right. leaving our scientific computers open and. <laughs> what (laughs) i don't know but i also feel like biohacking is something that's going to become like a mr robot type tv show
3: you're playing god yeah that's really what it is are you playing god mark is that what you do all day at work
1: am i playing god yeah
3: you play god
1: no i'm playing you
3: think you're our lord and savior
1: (laughs) (laughs) check uh he didn't answer yes or no (laughs) gospel gospel of mark sixteen
3: ten. 10 there's a gospel of mark do you know that no, well, there is a gospel of Mark. I learned something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I learned about the Bible today. That's the Bible talking. On the science podcast.
1: <laughs> but but basically, they they obviously do not have the uh, manpower, the knowledge, or the wherewithal to produce anything that would work. And the way they're trying to, in theory, get around FDA regulations, which of course exist.
3: <laughs> I think those are kind of like the speed limit. Where it's not concrete; <laughs> it's just a suggestion. <laughs> That's how I feel about the FDA.
1: <laughs> and they're saying that uh, their activities are legal. Uh, one of the quotes from this article is, "We label everything not for human consumption." Technically, Trewick s- said Riley during his live stream, which is the sort of that's what you hear. <laughs>
3: Vaccines aren't for human consumption.
1: <laughs> it's what you hear from people selling uh, nitrous oxide at, um, Wait, at festivals, right?
3: Where do these people sell this? You know. Just so I can avoid it. Boneroo. <laughs> <laughs> Do people really sell nitrous oxide?
1: People sell nitrous oxide oh, so, yeah. so that you put it into a balloon and then you'll I shouldn't be giving information on how to It sounds get like you a know a pie. lot
3: about this, Mark.
2: I mean it's, all, it's Did what gene you, therapy teaches. It's, it's what your
1: dentists use. <laughs> oh don't like they sell
2: little... it in those little cans too? What? Like a whip it? Whip, a whip it. Whip,
1: yeah, whip it so that That's uh,
2: nitrous oxide, right?
1: Yep.
3: You see, you whip it.
2: but yeah that is the type of stuff that they'd be like or when you go in into like a smoke shop and they're like this is for tobacco
3: only i don't i thought you were gonna tell me that smoke shops are gonna start pushing nitrous oxide be like this is just when you want to perform your at-home dental procedures (laughs) it's not for anything else (laughs) yeah kind of like the drug testing kits that are like it's not for testing drugs (laughs) and you're like isn't it but it is yeah i heard about
2: (laughs) a mail-in like thing where you test yourself for stds And you, like, you like I don't know how you actually do it. Have you heard about this? And then you send it in the mail. I heard it in an ad on a podcast about some sort of, like, home testing kit. And then you just, like, send it to this company. And then they tell you whether you have an STD or not. I think this is probably more legit than the herpes cure. That's
1: probably more legit. And they would have to get some sort of license to operate. Yeah, you can't just start giving out medical. Im- <laughs> <laughs> what if it- medical <laughs> information <laughs> if in if the or mail di- <laughs> di- diagnosis in the mail without yeah, some sort of. What if it's not real? License? They're
3: just like, everybody that comes in. They're like, all right, AIDS,
2: calamity. <laughs> 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 it's just big pharma trying to sell more drugs. I think we've
3: cracked the code, Mark.
1: <laughs> so this company is offering the public to join a waiting list to receive one of fourteen treatments it claims to have under development.
3: Wait, can I just ask? Um, when he injected himself with the herpes, did we did we get to see whether or not he still had herpes? No. How is it proven that he doesn't have herpes anymore?
1: No, uh, he was he was covered. Okay. By uh, underwear. I don't know if you're familiar with.
3: No, I don't know what that is. What is that?
1: Something that you wear under your wear
3: um the bible doesn't tell me about this so
1: <laughs> this uh this guy he in interviews likened himself to Jonas Salk the inventor of the polio yes. vaccine
2: oh did a report on him in uh, elementary school
1: damn and
3: you didn't even need that college degree no
1: <laughs> <laughs> and louis louis pasteur pioneer that one. of the pasteurizing of bac- pasteurizing bacteria and his exact words were i am a biohacker in the salk or pasteurian Sense
3: that's just such a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> that's really what it is.
1: He actually, uh, so when you dig d- down deep into it, it sounds like he's got an up and running company that is moving towards you know a kind of dangerous situation. Is but it him? It's him and but, three, but, but, close e- but ever since, but ever since this kind of uh, outrageous you know display at this conference. Uh, things have gone downhill for him. I only found one follow-up piece on this, and, and it said that several documentary crews were actually scheduled to shoot at one of these biohacker labs that was funded by this company. Mm. And uh, the Florida group that ran the lab had become upset with uh, the CEO's claims in theatrics, and the others associated were, were upset. But the, on the morning that the documentary crews arrived, trewick the CEO... Locked the web page manager out of the company website, uh, changed the locks on the lab space, and barricaded himself inside for several hours. This
3: is the most dramatic breakup I've ever heard about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, he piled some of the lab equipment outside uh, the front of the lab. There was even <laughs> there was even a physical wrestling match over the keys for the lab between Trewick and another biohacker. This is and was this ass. recorded? And uh, Gabrielle Licino, who apparently runs this Florida lab, so this an actual laboratory said, it was like watching a scene from Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> That's what
3: I'm saying. This is dead-ass domestic dispute. Like... <laughs> The cops were called. All your shit is out on the lawn, except for it's like millions of dollars of questionable lab equipment. Yeah, somebody's inside. I changed the locks. So oh no.
1: <laughs> so, so the the weird thing, I guess, is that you know all of these news articles at the time when he injected wrote all these articles being like, "Oh, this guy has injected himself with the therapy." Uh, none of that has really been retracted by any of those media companies. Huh. But uh, the, because it's sensational. Because it is sensational, but uh, despite that. The theatrics and utter bizarre behavior from that CEO, the 28-year-old Aaron Trawick, are the more egregious thing because it uh, it almost puts society in danger by claiming that you can offer these treatments. And therefore, Mm. Ascendance Biomedical, you have been dubbed fake news. Fake news.
0: The OAMnetwork.com.
1: All original podcasts released weekly in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome back to the Dr. Hackle podcast, our final section, where we take a journal article, spill it to our guests, have them ruminate upon it, and then spit that information right back to us.
3: Like a baby bird, a mom and a baby bird.
1: Regurgitation (laughs) at its finest. Today's article is from the journal Nature Communications. The first author is Yusuf Eziat. The anchor author is Michael Kahana.
3: Wait, what's an anchor author? <laughs> uh,
1: that is the... You can
3: tell how many scientific papers I've written.
1: The the last author is the... Uh, the least inve- important? The investigator. So the two most important positions are the first and the last.
3: Oh, okay. So gotcha. what about the guy in the middle?
2: Eh, He's uh, like
3: the middle child of science.
2: Not, not so much, yeah. Just forgotten um, and... A middle child. with and depression? I approve this message.
1: <laughs> the first person... The first author is the one who did the work. The... Uh, Last author is the guy that runs the lab, that is, who's written the grant, who has decided upon the research to be done or and has the funds, etc. Oh, okay. Uh, This is from the Department of Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. And the title is Closed Loop Stimulation of Mm. Temporal Cortex (laughs) Rescues Functional Networks and Improves Memory. Now, from the title alone, what can you pick up there?
2: They're stimulating a certain part of the brain in order to help people remember things better.
1: Ding, ding, ding. Got that it in right, yeah. one.
2: Wow. So, okay. Done. All right. That's in, that's section done. three.
1: Oh, there is much more.
2: Oh. Let's dig <laughs> deeper. So
1: deep brain stimulation, what do you think? It's, you know, uh, putting probes on your head and stimulating certain areas of I the brain?
3: I definitely think it has to do with some sort of electrical
1: <laughs> something. Yeah. Some sort of electrical pulse, but there are two different... Forms, I suppose, open loop, which is where you are stimulating at a constant intensity, uh, regardless hmm. of symptoms or stim or uh, you know signals.
3: So regardless of side effects, <laughs> that's where you just turn yeah. it on and see what happens.
1: Yeah, so you're like, oh, this person <laughs> is ill. Put the probe here, turn it on. Thirty minutes of that, you're good.
2: Science <laughs> sounds like psychology.
1: Closed loop. <laughs> I plead the fifth on that. <laughs> <laughs> Closed <It's> like... <laughs> loop only stimulates if certain parameters are met. So you get, you know, a lower average power dissipation, but you get reduced side effects from unneeded stimulation. Is the idea behind it?
3: Oh man, unneeded stimulation. Am I right?
1: So the lobes. I'm going to ignore ignore that filth. <laughs>
3: coming out of your <laughs> mouth this is the lord's podcast excuse you <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right so do you, do you there are lobes in the brain your cerebrum right uh, mm-hmm. gotcha can you, can you name some of those lobes? the fish and
2: lobes from the bible frontal lobe
1: frontal lobe that's one
2: uh side lobe the back lobe
1: <laughs> side lobe temporal lobe <laughs> temporal yeah. that's oh, you did it say. You got, yeah the is that
2: like shrimp tempura <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna make the same joke i was gonna be like the temporal lobe i feel like this for podcast when go is for sushi trying to make you laugh by the way
1: <laughs> and you're, uh, you're, you're i'm not doing, doing right. so hard. Doing it's right. okay. Doing
2: the me- listeners can be the judge of that you're doing mediocrely god damn
1: it i all of the joy was uh, taken out of me a long time ago so <laughs>
3: oh you're dead inside <laughs>
2: you, you so you are don't need to worry loop. about making me
1: laugh.
3: was england
2: a part of taking away all of your joy <laughs>
1: Yeah, when you grow up in a country that is just eternally grey, and drizzly, and depressed,
3: and lost most of its ruling
1: of other countries all around the world. Oh boy, I miss that colonization. And then just miss- get Cause that cause little grey island
3: <laughs> in the
1: sea. Uh, it was morally wrong, but God, did it feel good?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's my Tuesday night, honey. <laughs> all
1: right. So, what were we
3: talking about? So Lo- stri- the Lo- the lobes of the lobes. Yes.
1: So uh, the idea is that you would, they would apply some sort of stimulation to the brain, and in this uh, study, they were looking uh, with regards to memory. So research on human episodic memory has shown that whether information is remembered or forgotten depends on whether it is encoded effectively, mm-hmm. and there are uh, these neural events that happen during the encoding process. So activity in many. You know, different regions of cortical and subcortical parts of the brain uh, differentiate learned information that's like to be rem- likely to be remembered from learned information that's likely to be forgotten. So there's differences in these neural activities. So if you are doing, uh, if you're monitoring correctly you could in theory predict what is going to be remembered and what is going to be forgotten. Mm. So the first thing that this group did was generate a uh, monitoring system effectively to map the electrical inf- uh, information going on in the temporal lobe and predict whether a word would be remembered or forgotten. So they they had these participants, 25 participants, remember remember different words from a list and then do a memory recall task. Mm -hmm. So they were mapping the spectral patterns uh, when they were learning the words and then seeing whether or not they... Remembered or forgot the word, and then built up this pattern so that they could then predict. They had a map where they they could see when someone was being, you know, taught a word whether they were going to remember it, whether they were going to forget it. Mm-hmm. So that's the first part of the study, and then they took to their deep brain stimulation. So then they, uh, you know, attached attached these probes to the temporal uh, temporal lobe, mm-hmm. and did the same thing, so they're trying to teach them these words. Except now they're
3: shocking the shit out of them. Now they've got
1: they've got a pre- <laughs> they've got a predictive uh, method, and uh, they'll predict whether the word is going to be remembered. And if that prediction falls below fifty percent, so if they think there's more, it's more likely they'll forget the word mm-hmm. than they'll remember it. They shocked, uh, they shocked them. <laughs> oh, in that specific region. Oh, so like a. a at the time of encoding this quick shock.
3: Wait, they let me let me, back up. Let me ask let me ask a question. Um, so you're saying they shocked the region they previously mapped out which areas of the brain would light up when they were remembering a word.
1: Effectively, yeah. The, the, and
3: so when they were introducing the words again this time with the temporal lobe uh, stimulation, they would light up the areas in the same order that they previously did when they remembered a word? Is that what you just said?
1: Yeah, so there would, there would be a pattern that, uh, that the computer would be like, oh, it's this pattern, they're likely to remember it. Oh, it's this pattern. So shock the they're brain like, in this way and they're they'll remember it. are likely to forget it. it. And if they were likely to forget it, then boom, shock it and they're likely to remember it. This what is, is crazy. This is
3: what I'm hearing is, you should, you know those buzzers you put on your hand Yeah, that, that shock somebody is when you meet somebody, if you want them to remember your name just have one of those. When you give them a handshake. Put it on their brain. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how you mean, greet everyone. Just <laughs> the brain.
1: So they had two other groups. You can't just do that and be like, look, it worked." Uh,
3: <laughs> really? Because uh, in section two, you told me that uh, I was absolutely allowed to do that with science. <laughs> by injecting myself <laughs> at a conference and going, it did it.
1: <laughs> I, I said the complete opposite. Oh,
3: damn. did you? No, no he didn't. <laughs> I don't believe you. Uh,
1: so they have a group where they don't provide the electoral electrical stimulation and also they have a group where they provide a stimulation on just some other random area of the brain that's not on that temporal <laughs> lobe because it the it, people c- being shocked could for be not that, a purpose it could, it could be <laughs> yes not being being shocked for not a purpose uh the idea being that if you shock someone on this different area it shouldn't have any effect uh but if, if there was so you, so it shouldn't it shouldn't increase it but it would takes out the bias of Oh, I remember this word because I'm receiving a massive electric shock rather than it like actually doing any real benefit
3: yeah, okay
1: so they had a, they had those groups and they found that uh stimulation to the lateral temporal region when uh, they were predicting encode fail that increased the word recall by twelve percent compared to no stimulation okay, whereas stimulation in a non lateral region actually caused a it was a non significant uh, amount but it was a decrease they, it made you <laughs> less likely to remember
3: maybe it's because you're being fucking shocked in the brain <laughs> like, and you're focused on that
1: <laughs> so it's not just the fact that a pulse is applied somewhere in the brain that makes you remember it. it's the fact that they were doing it in this specific, specific sequence specific, specific manner and uh, all subjects were stimulated so subjects, subjects with stimulated words were also more likely to remember the unstimulated words they had also been tasked with remembering that was the final thing. So, oh. for instance, you know, words they were not shocked for, but they were tasked with mem- remembering. They were able to remember even better.
2: So they helped all these people build up their memory.
1: In theory, in theory, this is the f- I guess this is a proof of principle study that they would, uh, you know, try and take further, try and actually take towards the clinic because this has a lot of uses potentially in epilepsy, in Parkinson's. Re- Indeed, Alzheimer's. Indeed, Alzheimer's is the, is the big one you would think that uh, could benefit from targeted closed loop stimulation. So that was one of, the, uh, one of the key things is that they showed that this closed loop stimulation works better than applying a constant stimulation. It's not just for word recall. You could presumably uh, incorporate that. There will be other brain functions where you can you know, predict certain things mm-hmm. and apply a pulse in a targeted way and hopefully improve function. Uh, although that would have to come from future studies, uh, but if you want to really improve your Dunbar number, there yes. you go, which is what this is all about. Shocked getting you, myself. getting you above one hundred and fifty. <laughs> you need to get in contact with these people and say, "Hey, deep brain stimulate me." <laughs> When it's predicted that I will forget someone's name and their face.
3: So earlier we were talking about how there are certain couch surfing requests that you would say no to. And I think if anyone messaged me and said, Hi, would you like to participate in some deep brain stimulation <laughs> in order to remember each other more fondly? I would say no. Or anytime you meet
2: somebody and they don't remember your name, you should bring them to your little... revenge your, shock. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> like, you should shock like, the you, shit out of them. Are and you going to remember me now? Hopefully not in a deposition, <laughs> but like... <laughs>
2: But in some way or another, <laughs> let me manipulate your brain a little bit and mm. get my name in there. <laughs> All
1: right, I think you've taken that in. We but did let's it. Uh, let's let's get a quick recap. A recap from uh, the Surf Memphis podcast. How do you improve memory with deep brain stimulation?
3: Well, I wouldn't pose it as that mark because as you said it's only had one trial
1: you're correct you're completely correct so i think
3: that was a trick question yeah but in the future among more trials (laughs) or the hypothesis is basically they the paper studied that um people when they're trying to remember something certain areas of the brain light up that have to do with like a specific if they remembered it there's a pattern so what they did is they did some closed loop and open loop did they do both kinds Am I allowed to ask that?
1: <laughs> Open loop is what previous uh, studies had done. They, they just oh, did okay. closed loop. This, this is only
3: closed. Oh, because it was specific. Mm-hmm. Um, right. See, I did learn. So <laughs> they uh, While they were asking them the questions again, they lit up the specific parts of the brain that were proven to increase memory earlier. And so well, what it was is
2: they had a list of 25 words, right? And they were asking them to remember Was it 25 words? people? It was Twi- 25, 25 people.
1: 25 people, 12 words. But.
3: Okay. Could they really not remember 12 words?
1: I think that these were epileptic patients, man.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Am I going to just come on this podcast every time and say something rude
1: unknowingly? Yeah, they would. So these
2: are people that actually would benefit from what this treatment is trying to help out. They weren't just random people. So the findings are even better. Yes. The
1: findings are even better. And Uh, yes, Uh, yeah. I suppose it would be more difficult to say uh, to get the approval to do, you know, deep brain stimulation in people that were functioning just fine.
2: Well, that's what I was going to say is how did they get these 25 people to just sign up to have their brains shocked, especially the people that it wasn't doing anything, but it's because it was a like a medical trial for people that have epilepsy. Not poor judgment, epilepsy. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of university posters that are like, I'll give you $100 for a free study. but if They're like, I'm going to shock your brain. I would, I would eat the $100. I wouldn't get it. Ooh, I think that's what I learned I think that's, that's good advice okay. uh, If
1: anyone's going to pay you money <laughs> To shock your brain Just don't don't go full Hemingway like,
2: <laughs> How much money would you let your brain be shocked for? That is
3: a great question um, Zero dollars I think the brain is, impar- is important That's why I wear my nerdy helmet on my bike
2: I agree With your Surf Memphis sticker on it
3: With my Surf Memphis <laughs> sticker on it <laughs> We are master pluggers. <laughs>
2: yeah, we were just earlier this...
3: talking about how we're going to start ordering delivery, and when they ask for the name, we're going to be Surf Memphis Pod. This, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode is half plug already.
3: <laughs> and apparently, the last episode.
1: <laughs> what? Source subject. Soul subject.
3: Um. Th- here, I'm. R- I'm here to plug a podcast. Listen to Doctor Hagel. <laughs> I think you'll have a great time.
1: I think you actually did a great job of explaining the uh, study. It was full marks from me. <gasps> we did Ooh. it. We passed. Considering some groups get zero marks.
3: Wait. Oh. well, I'm glad that you made it easy for us.
1: It wasn't It wasn't necessarily the easiest study. I mean, if you thought it was easy, then more power to you.
3: Uh, that's why I have a PhD. As you <laughs> said earlier, you didn't say bachelor's, you said PhD. <laughs> <laughs>
2: In communication. Shh.
1: But the final, <laughs> the final thing. Now that you are all uh, cocky and sure yourselves,
3: I am ready to go at that level all the time.
1: Do you have a fact to impart for <gasps> us today?
3: Oh, I forgot about the fact.
1: Fact.
2: Oh, I remember. Me and you were talking like one time, and I was like, next time I have to share a fact, it's gonna be this fact, but I, I can't remember it. But I do have a fact: German chocolate cake is named after a guy named sam german and not the country germany <laughs> that is, so good. is that true That's it's great. true it's a That's true amazing. fact now you know no. sorry country of germany
3: <laughs> can't take credit so uh you were talking about cake and this is obviously segued into anti <laughs> if you take too many antacids, it'll turn your poop white source what? me
1: i was the only participant in this study
3: (laughs) no it's true it will unleashed
1: the snake in you
3: (laughs) the snake
1: yeah that's snakes that poop's
3: white the poop the poop snakes
2: the
1: hot snakes regular snakes
2: (laughs) the snake inside of your intestines comes out and makes you poop white (laughs) <laughs> not ant, not antacids. I have
3: I, I You guys are looking at me like I'm supposed to know what, what you're talking
1: about. I don't know. Snakes. Snakes are animals. S- snakes are animals.
3: That do so, not live in your body. It's So funny that you're struggling with this, but that
2: like really in depth science paper. <laughs> you got like right off the bat.
1: Snakes are animals, and their poop is white.
3: Oh, their poop is white. Yeah, I've never. <laughs> what seen did it. you think we were Listen, talking about? I've have never. Have you ever seen a snake shit? I plead the fifth. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. yes I am a reptile person in
1: disguise <laughs> you didn't spend all your waking hours in the reptile house as a kid
3: no but I did one time eat something really spicy and I ate like six or seven tums over the course of one day and this is sophomore year of college and I pooped and it was white and I was so scared and then I googled it and I was like oh I just ate too many tums is that what you were doing in 2011 absolutely and that's why my brain has changed because now I don't take too many anti-acids I just but I still eat really hot food <laughs>
1: That was the perfect rounding up of the episode. So we're going to end it there and (laughs) allow you to plug something. I don't know what it is that you could possibly be plugging. I don't really
3: have
2: anything.
3: Uh, I would like to receive my mail on time. Oh, this is a plug, not just like an asking for something. (laughs) Dear God. Dear at God. Um, I'd like to plug our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
2: Okay, but real talk. We, um, we, have, a, we have a podcast. Would, <laughs> so we host a podcast. I don't know if you know what it is because we haven't talked about it at all. It's
3: called Antagonizing Mark. And what we do is we come on a show and we try to make him break a million times. <laughs> like but if class. you enjoy
2: our banter and our discussions with strangers and all that fun stuff, you can find us at Surf Memphis Pod. We are on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. MySpace. We are. We're on MySpace. We're on Pinterest. Friendster yes um dot i'm pretty sure friendster is just what became facebook but no friendster it? is different all right anyway that's <laughs> another podcast <laughs> you can <episode>. find <laughs> us on itunes google play stitcher all the places you can listen to podcasts instagram at surf Pod. that's it yeah okay. you can find us there we like to add to our story all the time of all the shenanigans that we get up to yep and you can find us on the oamnetwork.com
1: Excellent, great plugging there. We now to finally round out the show. Fully the, last, the last loose thread to connect is earlier, I said, Mark 10:16. Yes. <laughs> Not knowing what that was, and we'll finish uh, today with a reading from the Lord.: A reading from the Lord, which is Mark 10:16. <laughs> and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Thank you. I'm crying. Good night. <laughs>
0: Dr. Heckle is an OEM network production recorded at the Sound Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your host is Mark Brimble. Guests were Christy Feely and Carly Bensavinga. The show was produced by Mark Brimble, Gilworth, and Zan Roach. Special thanks to John Miller and Carla Wirth. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to get in touch about appearing on the show, or topics you'd like us to cover, email us at HecklePod at gmail.com.